then you pick up we have like a little riff it's basically your opportunity to like introduce yourself say your name so the people who are listening basically hear who's on the podcast this week okay you good can i so can i can i answer the phone and say hello it's the caramel kids sweet i'm here you can do whatever if that's what floats your boat go for it dude that's all good okay all right right, sure give me a call hello hello it is your boy sean flores otherwise known as caramel kids six foot three still single waiting to be picked up (laughs) first of all that's a lie all of that's a lie um sean how are you doing listen i'm doing well i'm excited to bring good vibes and good energy to this conversation that's the most important thing so hopefully i've been able to make you smile and get ready to lock into the voice the, you like added bass like where did this come from i think natu- naturally i shut my voice down i don't really talk how much i actually want to so yeah okay well um are you ready to come onto the show this week i'm ready to come onto the show let's go like the new pots are interesting or do they only stay interesting for a small amount of time for you like isn't it fun to kind of dip into new things or do you find that you're you want to find you don't want to be like a jack of all trades or a renaissance man or whatever i think some of us are should be renaissance men and some of us should be a jack of all trades but i i think that was me when i was younger and i think I, I I don't know if you've ever seen the film Prestige, but one of the guys, he says to Hugh Jackman in the movie, he said, obsession is a young man's game. And I think I was obsessed back in the day with being, um, you know, this renaissance man, the man of jack of all trades. But as I've gotten older, I've started to realise I don't have to align myself to one thing entirely, but the one thing that I do dedicate myself to, I can actually perfect it and be the best that I can be at that, whilst also exploring other avenues within that. Mm. I can respect that. I can understand that as well. I think it's very easy right now to just find something interesting and allow it to take your attention and go with it. Um, But I wouldn't say that you're old or that it's a young, I mean, that it's a young man's game or that you're in terms of that phrase that you are old relative to that phrase. I don't know if I'm making sense because what, what are you like 20, 25, 26? Take a guess. 25, right? Okay, cool. So, you know, that's still pretty young. I agree. I think it is young, but I think I'm quite old spirited. So some days I feel like I'm quite an old soul put into a young body. Mm -hmm. It feels like maybe in some senses God gave me, I don't really necessarily believe in God, so I need to stop saying that as a figure of speech. But um, yeah, I feel like if they'll... Let's go for reincarnation. I'll go for reincarnation. I was reincarnated into a younger body, but I'm still an old soul. I don't know if that's how reincarnation works, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, like it's somewhat that reincarnation concept. My brain's kind of scrambled. It's all right. Do you? Did you have... <laughs> Were you working before this or...? No, no, no. Um, so last night I was just sending off emails working on uh, my podcast trying to because unfortunately my laptop 
deleted all my podcast episodes, wow. so I have to redo all of them. And that's like 40. So as I'm speaking to you now, I'm looking at the whole spreadsheet and I'm like, this is daunting. But I'm remaining positive because I remember it's going to allow me to come back better and stronger than ever, you know? What is it? A minor setback is a... What is it? A minor setback is for a major comeback. Word, 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 word. So wait, did you not have anything saved to the cloud or... Uh, sorry. It was all saved onto my laptop and I had a backup drive. Oh, okay. But when I put the backup drive back into the laptop, I was like, all right, cool. Everything's going to be there. What I realized was the... The, the recordings that I had done were saved to the local computer. So when Apple wiped the computer, even if it was on my backup drive, it was all gone. I'm so sorry. So that's why now I've invested in iCloud yeah. Drive. I invested in making sure I'm uploading things to the web as well on top of my backup drive. And also my backup drive, backing up the backup drive itself. So are you going to redo every episode as in you're going to call each guest back or how how you plan on doing this? That's exactly what I'm planning to do, call each guest back. So, um, but I don't mind, honestly, I think this is where I say it, it truly has tested my, my, you know, my metal and whether I really want to do this podcast and things. So it's shown me, yeah, I do really want to do it because a lot of people would have given up by then. Like, oh, Christ, I've, I've had like 30, 40 episodes gone. What's the point in doing them again? I'm like, no, let's do them all again. People like to talk about themselves. So why not give them a chance to do it again? That's true. And I guess this gives you the opportunity to rebrand or like trying to do it as like a, a 2.0 situation. And exactly. I'm sure like no one's run out of things to talk about in terms of their lives. So it will be good. Exactly. And, you know, when you say to people running out of things to talk about, all I can think about is Chipmunk and the way he's killed. Oh, stars. my gosh. Should have finished his career by now. You know, I have no opinion. <laughs> Listen, I know you have an opinion. Everyone loves Stormzy, but Chipmunk doesn't run out of bars. He's a walk in prison. Um, I'm going to dilute the conversation. But have you seen the episodes of what's that show? Um, Chicken Shop Date. I don't watch that at all, but apparently the girl, is it Amanda? Amelia, I think it is. Yeah. So she interviews like different artists and there was one where she was interviewing Chip and um, bless him. He has like such a sweet soul. You can tell from that interview, like he has such a sweet soul. And I feel like, I mean, I have no opinion on the beef between him and Stormzy, but whatever that's going on between that. I'm like, I feel like you can tell that, it's all coming from a place of like realness with him. He's not about any fake shit or anything like that. And I respect that. But that doesn't mean like you haven't, you still haven't given me your opinion. Because like, if I'm being totally honest, man. I wasn't following it. I, all I was doing, I was looking to oh, the timeline oh. like every, every other day and be like, oh, okay, there's a new one. Cool. And then I get on with my day. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Just chipmunk, chipmunk, just anyone that comes for chipmunk. I, 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 I feel like they're, they're, they're just walking into a, into a war they're not ready to okay so break it down because i i have a basic understanding of what happened but because i wasn't really paying attention and i only listened to a few tracks break it down for me so like how did it start from what from what i know personally and again i'm not massively a music fan in that sense i don't get into all the drama and all that sort of stuff but this was one of the things that was just circulating the internet i was like oh fine for goodness sake let me check what's going on so from what i heard or i saw a video that Stormzy had pulled up to Chipmunk's house with all these goons. Um, okay, I saw that basically. video, yeah. 
yeah, ready to fight him. And um, and then I remember in the song when Chipmunk was at the petrol station, he was just barring, just ah, uh, Stormzy just got killed, man. Stormzy, just uh, just everything. He was he was saying something like, just because I said your verse in Waves was light, what's the matter? And he was just talking about how he's a hypocrite because he keeps proclaiming he's part of this gospel, but he's talking about stabbing and getting ready to fight people. So he's being hypocritical. And one minute he's like, don't vote for the government, but then vote. So he was just calling, he was calling him out. Stormzy got finished. Stormzy's career should be done. <laughs> Anyone that disagrees. Anyone that disagrees, different. yeah, go for sure. And like, because uh, all I'm thinking about is Munya's... Um, because yeah, that's the only thing I saw. That's the only thing. I yeah. saw that's like I didn't watch the original, but I saw that and I was like, this man does not miss every day, like he's on it within four forty-eight hours he has a video out. Exactly. Munya is one of the I think he's gonna be the next cultural icon within the British scene and I very soon can see him dominating the American scene. Oh, no doubt. Like he the credits he has behind the scenes as well as his videos. Like I was looking at, um, what was it? Um, Death to 2020. And I just noticed his name in the credits, like as a writer. And I was like, oh shit. I'm like he's doing, th- like he's doing things bigger than his videos already. And I really, and I think like, he's really, he really knows what he's doing. I think I was reading his story and I, I know that he grew up in Zimbabwe. He had left Zim- left the UK, went back to Zimbabwe and grew up. And apparently, if I remember correctly, he grew up in quite a hard time, came back to the UK, was in Norfolk or Suffolk. I can't remember which one it was. He studied presenting. And um, yeah, he's just blown up. And it, he said he's been doing it for like seven to eight years. And then it took one video that blew out, out of the water and look at where he is now. And um, the network that I'm working with, you know, they've already interviewed him twice. So I'm telling you by now, we're going to be putting that energy into the world, but I'm going to be able to interview him and have a conversation mm. with him and learn to be as funny as him and not just funny looking. I mean, to be a model, um, I don't feel like you're that funny looking, you know. you you got a, a face. Yeah, you're a former model. Uh, okay. I'll class myself as a former model now. I model every now and then when it's commercial and, you know, it gives me the chance to smile and to have a joke. But apart from that, I'm no longer part of the modeling scene the way I used to be. And I think I'm quite happy for that. You know, it was a journey that taught me a lot about myself. I'm the kind of person that once I go all out, I go proverbially balls to the wall. I'll go absolutely. So how did you get into it? So when I was younger, there was an event called Trinidad, Trinis in London or Trinis in the park. I can't remember it because it was such a long time um, ago. And a woman just came up to me. She said, oh, have you ever thought to model? I was like, me? Model? What's that? And so she explained it to me. And then um, she took photos of me. And it was literally from there on in, I started applying to agencies. Some people were interested in me. I remember at the time when I explained to my mom, mama, I'm going to go and try modeling. I remember her and my stepdad were like, like you don't want to be there. They're going to try and coerce you. And I was like, I didn't know what to think. And I remember we paid for a shoot, but then we found out that that agency at the time was fake. So that's when I say to people, do never pay for an agency. You should never pay to join an agency. You only pay professional photographers that are associated with that agency. But um, then I left it alone, went to university to study criminology and sociology. I got offered a job to be on like on a billboard. But at the time, modeling wasn't important to me. I was studying. Um, and the shoot was a day before my exam. 
So I was like, I'm not going to do that. My exam comes first. My exam is my future. But that's also the indoctrination of the Caribbean household. They don't see anything else outside of education. So that's a whole nother journey within itself. But um, yeah, that's um, that agency dropped me when I explained to them that I can't do the shoot because um, I want to finish off my exam and pass my exam. Left it alone, did my master's now and then. From my masters, I started chasing it a little bit more. I started getting more jobs. I started signing to bigger agencies, and that's when it kind of just took off. It kind of blew up my Instagram page. People were watching my journey, essentially from zero to hero, in in in, in some senses. So that's kind of how it started. And now, as I've left it, um, I'm still with my agencies. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not bothered the way I used to be. If that makes sense, it's not my be all and end all. So do you feel like you've, I don't want to say outgrown it, but that there's more to you that you, than you want, that you want to explore? Absolutely. Because before you even said outgrown, I would have said I've outgrown mm, okay. it now. I'm, I'm in a very different place. I've done a lot of things for modeling that I didn't think I would want to do. So for example, I used to eat one meal a day just to maintain my cheekbones. What? Like, it's funny. And I, I want to laugh, laugh, but at the same time, knowing how, I mean, knowing what I do know about the modeling world and how brutal it can be in terms of, like, body image and, like, eating disorders, yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, I ate one meal a day sometimes just to maintain my cheekbones mm. because I only, I'm the kind of person, I have naturally quite a round face, but when I lose fat, I, I have quite a symmetrical face. So, um yeah i would wake up go to a shoot or what i would do some mornings would be i'll drink like two liters of water or three liters in the morning alone go to the shoot but i'd be almost passing out on the shoot like i was so low energy i just felt exhausted even when i was looking back at pictures of myself and how skinny i was i was like that's not healthy and i thank god i've pulled out and i said to my friends why didn't you tell me what i was doing was unhealthy i was a stick i'm six foot two and a half so call it six three right um and I say call it six three because if you're trying to catch no, your man, you're already above six foot. Why do you need to round up to another inch? You're fine. Because because some some women say six foot. What is it? Yeah. Six foot short. They want six two. They want taller. So I'm like, listen, come big yourself up. But so yeah, um, I'd fill myself up with water. I'd go to a shoot, come back home, but I'd just be exhausted. I was tired. I I just didn't want to do anything else, and I'd be shooting day in day out. And I remember I went to a shoot and one lady, she said, you look so much like a model. So you're getting this positive reinforcement that's happening all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. I was 84. I was like 80 kg. That's not healthy for me to be that weight. There's nothing healthy about that weight at my height, you know, unless I'm boxing or something like that, where weight matters quite a lot. But I'm just going to a shoot, taking pictures. And that was it. Um so yeah, it was a very interesting journey, but I had to leave it. I think it's something that's not important. That was fashion. To make the distinction, I was doing fashion modeling, not commercial modeling. Commercial modeling is more your everyday person, smiling. You you can be good looking and get away with it. Whereas I think in fashion, you've got to be really unique looking. And I looked really unique looking when I had less um, fat on my face or my cheekbones were more pronounced. So would you class the experience of being a model as a good one overall or would you think, do you view it kind of in a negative light? 
I think in accordance with Buddhists, I try to see things in duality in the sense of there's no good and there's no bad. I kind of take from it what I can. Um, but my words will obviously still align with good or bad. So for the sake of people that are gonna that are listening, I suppose in some sense it was good. It taught me a lot about myself, taught me about the person that I want to be. Um, and I think bad in the sense of the things that I personally was willing to do just to get to the top. And I think that's what I would have done. It's not necessarily a fault of the industry, which I I think it is in some aspects, but people still have their own choices to make penultimately. So mm. um, yeah, I would say it's a bit of both, but I try to take the experience out of it, you know? Mm. Yeah. I wonder if you, you like, uh, I'm trying to think of this, how to phrase this. Ask it however you want to ask it. I always like people to do I'm that. One, no, I'm and just like piecing it together. It's not like I'm afraid to ask you anything. Like we've okay. we've talked on on enough for like a while now. So, um, like so with modeling, do you feel like you've met the kind of people that you can take into real life? Because the way I view it as someone who's not in that industry is that it can. It's a very like about how you look about your look your image so do you feel like you've made real connections with people in that industry that you can extend like outside of that I've met some people that I'm still friends with to this day and you're right in in many senses that modeling is pretty much about how you look you know people have this idea that it's not just how you look you know there's so many other things that matter but the predominant prevailing factor is ultimately how you look yes you can have a great personality, but it's your looks that sell, you know, that, that, that's, there's no other way around it. Um, so I've met good people. Um, I wouldn't say I haven't. And I've also met superficial people that I think embody the word narcissism, although I think narcissism is a buzzword that's thrown around nowadays when people don't know what that word really means in so many ways. But yeah, I would say, for example, I would go to parties and I'm not a party goer. So for anyone who knows me, I really don't attend parties. So when I used to go to the parties, sometimes to network, these girls would never approach me if I was on the street. They would never talk to me if I wasn't in certain settings. But because they knew who I was, they'll talk to you. And then because they knew that outside of modeling, I had done a TEDx talk, I had a master's, it just adds to your social capital, if that makes sense. So... So do you feel like you only were approached because of your looks? Like that uh, besides your looks, that these people had no interest in interacting with you? I think I was approached, yes, in some parts by looks, but it's also the reputation that I carried as well. Reputation proceeds. And I think that was something that laid more and more evident to me because honestly, some people I've never spoken to again after you've after you meet them at a party or whatever, and um you chill, you go to a shoot, you don't hear from these people again. When you once you leave the scene, you're no longer relevant. And I think modeling industry in some ways has a really high churnover. Like it's, they churn models in and out, in and out. So I think in many ways, if you're not ready to be on that conveyor belt, it's not something you should step into. But it's also reflected in the dynamics and the friendships that you have with people. So even recently. When I used to follow people back in the day when I didn't have 17K followers, people wouldn't reply to me. People would ignore me. But as I started glowing up through the modeling and through everything else I was doing, people have time for you then. 
people actually have time for you. And I think that's why now with myself, I try to remain present and available for people, regardless of the numbers you have on Instagram or regardless who you are. I, if I, I'll try, always try to make time and that's been the good that I've been able to take away from the bads in modeling in terms of how people have treated me. But yeah, it's definitely reputation ultimately. And it's, um, yeah, and looks play a part too. But men are success objects while women are objectified. So it's different. Interesting. Go into that some more. So men are seen as more attractive by the more they achieve. Their social reputation, their social capital goes up. You know, successful men are good looking to most people. You know, I remember Steve Harvey. Like, I'm, I'm not the best, most fan of him. Laurie Harvey, her CV is impeccable with the black men she dates. Got to give a big shout out. Wait, to what? Laurie Harvey's dated Future, Trace. Yeah, Laurie Harvey's living her best life. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Her CV's impeccable. Yeah, I'm saying her CV's impeccable. Cool, because the way the way you were saying it, I was like, I don't know how you're trying to phrase this, but okay, no, no, no. Yeah, Laurie Harvey's living her best life. Okay. Um, Steve Harvey. I remember there was a woman that said, "I'm single," and she's like, "I want to date this. There's this guy that I'm dating." And then Steve Harvey stops her. And he's like, well, what did he ask her again? Does he have a nine to five? And she, she was like, yeah. You know, does he have a house? Yes. Um, does he have good um, disposable income? She said, yes. And uh, all the women in the crowd were like, ooh. And I think it, that's it's the kind of mentality that a lot of people have. And it's okay to want to be with someone who will be stable. But men are success objects. No matter how much women try to deny it, a man is more attractive based on the more he does achieve in life. And especially in the age that we're in now with social media, men that achieve are even more attractive. As someone who used to watch the because Steve Harvey show. glorified glamorized. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. As someone who used to watch the, the Steve Harvey show, um, yeah, I can attest to the ooh and bit in the crowd whenever someone mentions someone has a job. Um but yeah, it reminds me of this, something I was reading recently where they were talking about how, and I think it's something that a lot of women were trying to like break, the idea that women are, their capital is historically has been the way they looked. And even still now, their looks have been like yeah. their capital. And like with men, it's been like the ability to provide. And, you know, as somebody who tries to actively fight against old systems, it's kind of hard because it's like a, it's an inbuilt, it's, feel, it's something that's been built into you by society. Like this is how it should be. So yes, you do want to like ask, oh, what do you do? What's your work? Or like when someone looks at me when I'm trying to date men, it's more like, oh, how attractive is she? And do I want to date her? There's this whole feeling of just like underlying everything of where your power lies. And um yeah, ultimately fight fight the power and you know break down systems, you know, burn everything down, rebuild. That's my mindset. Um, but I I want to ask you a question because you said something interesting earlier about how regardless of anyone's like numbers, you will be willing to interact with them. Taking a left turn, the way I met you, I thought you weren't a real person because of the numbers you had. <laughs> and you know, you're not the first person to say that to me, which is actually crazy. Okay, cool. Because I was, I thought, I thought I was the only person. Um, yeah. So we, we like, we found interacted with each other on Hinge, which is a dating app. And I thought your profile wasn't real. 
because you linked your Instagram. I clicked through on it and I was like, 17K. <laughs> and then I found your, and no, no, what was it? You have an Instagram on the app, but I didn't realize you could remove photos that are on your Instagram on the app. So I went on to like your Instagram on Instagram and I was like, nah, this isn't the real Instagram. There's some pictures missing. This guy's got 17,000 followers. I don't trust it. So then I think before I was about to unmatch you, I sent you a message being like, if you're trying to catch fish people, you know, you might want to not actually at your actual app. And then you were like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then went like a whole stream of messages of you trying to prove that you were a real person. Because you're not, yeah, you're not the first person to say that. And I went on to hinge, you know, friendship, whatever it might be from people. Like, I'm, I'm pretty much open to networking. Um, but, yeah, you're not the first person. Someone messaged me recently and was like, you're not real. And I was like, what? You know, you're like, is, is this what people do in their spare time? Do people catfish people? Like, but it's, it's actually mad because when I've actually scrolled once, I saw a girl's page um, and this girl had her different name. And I messaged a girl on Instagram and I was like, someone's catfished you, you know? And yeah, the the girl had been catfished. So I kind of understood it, but you're not the first person to assume yeah. that I, I, I'm not real. Okay, cool. So, yeah. yeah. Cause I was like, I was fully in my detective bag. I was like, I've got one. Yes. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like, yeah, I've got one. And then, you know, it turned out, oh, you're a natural person and people I know followed you. And I was like, oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, nah, listen, I'm not about that catfish. I wasn't assuming you were. I was assuming someone had taken your profile and decided to catfish people on the app. But I think that's that's like another interesting thing, just the way people are connecting now in the pandemic. Yeah. I think, I don't know if catfishing is as, actually, no, let me not even lie. I feel like catfishing has probably gone on the rise because there's more opportunity for people to connect with people online more people want to have some kind of human contact and it's like why not for fun make a fake profile and see what happens that is evil you know that is a I wicked mean, thing a to do film, honestly. there's a whole tv show about it it's like oh yeah yeah but it's also what's interesting is um i think if somebody wants to make friends just message the real person but i get it some people are really um a bit prickish and it's funny because as I said to you from doing modeling and so much more people honestly assume that I'm this arrogant egotistical condescending person and I'm unapproachable and I'm unreachable but I've come from a humble background you know I grew up in a single parent family I went to school I would never treat somebody like that and that's something that's really big for me personally um and that's why I try to remain humble and steadfast in the idea that I'm always going to be who I am and I'll always try and treat people with that respect and numbers are a disease of humanity right now in this technological age people only care about numbers man like clubhouse has people feeling like has has the ordinary person feeling like they can come on and do TEDx talk <laughs> like and, and, and I'm not I'm not saying that uh, you know defecating anyone you know but it's a bit like it sounds like it these platforms these platforms are making people think that because they have something to say, it's valuable necessarily. I don't know. I don't fully agree. I get that some people are on Clubhouse to just hear their own voice. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, so 
I think I, I disagree with you partly. Definitely some people are on a clubhouse to hear their own voice and to just be loud and wrong. But I feel like there have been like a lot of good conversations that have been facilitated. I've seen a lot of things about like people just having conversations that they probably wouldn't have had regularly. Like, And I think the fact that it's not confined to the timeline, so not confined to Twitter, means that you get to hear voices, hear people's actual intentions like live in the flesh. And there's possibly like less room for miscommunication. But actually, um, I'm an Android user, so I haven't even been on the app. I just follow like the the commentary on Twitter. So yeah. yeah. Twitter's a wild place as well. Oh, yeah. I call it a wild west of humanity. I don't even really use Twitter. I, well, I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit technologically inept. If I could pay someone to run my socials for me, that would be absolutely fantastic. Hey, you know, but I'm freelancing. I'm looking for more work. If <laughs> let me know. Listen, listen, <laughs> that is the one there. Because the amount of messages I haven't even been able to reply to is a bit crazy. But Going back to Clubhouse, yeah, I think Clubhouse has been good, and it's um, if I could, I would have bought some stocks into Clubhouse. It'll be absolutely fantastic because I think it's going to rival a lot of social media places. And you're right in so many many ways that if you hear somebody's voice, there's less room for miscommunication. But some of the conversation are just clickbait types. Oh yeah, definitely. like some of the, some of them, I'm just a bit like you, you just want to feel special because maybe your Instagram's not popping, but you're going to be popping on Clubhouse. It's just a transference of numbers now. It's a transference of people who are listening and so on. Because when I've been in Clubhouse rooms, I might say something that to me is just common knowledge in terms of we can't, for example, yesterday I was on a conversation about why nine to five is, una, is it's not it's not attractive to men, black men in particular. And I was just a bit like... Wait, what? you know as in yeah, men themselves like, or men who have nine to fives unattractive so as um as a young black man why are nine to fives unattractive oh, okay and it was hosted by women and it was quite an interesting conversation but i said something as simple as it's quite a blanket statement to almost assume all black men don't like nine to fives and some of us can't do nine to fives simply because maybe we have other dreams that we want to chase and some people do a nine to five because they want stability like, to me, that's common sense. But then after I said it, I had, like, 20 people follow me. And I'm like, is this the state of knowledge? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you really can become an internet sensation overnight by saying things that I personally think are common sense. I don't think I say any. I don't think I say anything that's utterly esoteric. That I don't think it's special knowledge that no one knows. But it's like, I, I don't know. But isn't that a lot of, I mean just what social media is the fact that we all come with our own like bank of information and you know if you're trying to educate yourself more you're probably reading more trying to consume more information so the minute you say something that someone else doesn't know they're like oh yeah word 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 and then they follow you because you're literally just saying something that to you is just a fact but to them they might not have heard it and they're like oh well, you know fair you resonate with me on a level I'll give you a follow Mm, that's, I think that's a very good way of seeing it and you've come with your bank of information to be able to analyze what I've said so I think you're quite right actually I didn't see it like that I just saw it maybe I've seen it a bit reductively in the idea of what I'm saying is not special I, like, I just read you know we all read well I would like to believe so but you're right in so many ways yeah it, things resonate with us differently yeah follow me on uh, Instagram uh, Clubhouse or Snapchat <laughs> 
<laughs> but, but listen, but you got an Android, so you can't. Yeah, but you know what? I feel I feel attacked personally because I don't want to join this iPhone cult that everybody's got going on. But um, I agree. It's yeah. fine. You know, I just I get the commentary on the timeline. It's okay. It's all good. It's funny because the room, the room we were in yesterday, it was like a hundred people. It started off as a hundred, and I was saying to one of my friends, "I'm like, just wait. This room will hit a thousand. And the room hit a thousand. It was it was number four trending on Twitter, mm-hmm. and people were so excited. And I'm like, people really just want to become the next internet sensation, don't they? I mean, it's kind of how things just work now. If your if most of your life is like being online I think for a lot of us it is especially with being at home but just like in casual day-to-day outside of work if most of your life is like social media and being online knowing that other people recognize you and can like recognize you it's like oh it it gives you that little buzz it's that that little endorphin rush like oh yeah I'm being recognized by people outside of my group outside of my circle um but obviously that can turn toxic when you get into a situation where that's all you want or you're all you're seeking um yeah i don't know i don't know are you looking for social media fame is that, is that not I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah not at all honestly i think if i was looking for social media fame i'd market myself very differently i would do certain things differently but social media fame is not important to me yes i do have a podcast yes i write articles yes i do have a youtube channel but I try not to measure myself by the numbers because when you quantify things in such a way, it's just quite dehumanizing. So for me, I'd like the work I put out to be a reflection of the content in, in terms of if it resonates with only 500 people, let that be that 500, you know, like when I think, uh, when I compare that, um, the kind of concept I'm speaking about is I compare, for example, common. So like common, the rapper, his music is timeless, but, he doesn't do peaks and troughs. He's just quite stable. If he was to be a stock, you'd buy into him and know he'll never really bring you a lot of money, but he'll never make you lose money. You know, Commons has been around for years and I've always said his marketing hasn't hasn't been the greatest. The man's produced some great albums recently that no one really talks about. But when you compare him to someone like, I don't know, I'm trying to find someone that would be suitable enough. Um ugh. Let's just go for a rapper like Stormzy. Stormzy's talented, don't get me wrong, but he's got great marketing behind him. He's got absolutely fantastic marketing. And he'll go through the peaks. Whenever he's on the scene, he goes through the peaks. But it doesn't mean everything that he says is valuable to the scene, necessarily. Common preachers love, you know. Stormzy does his every bit, you know, every now and then he does a bit of conscious stuff, you know, to please us us people who like that conscious stuff. But then for people who just want music, to escape he does that more so for them that so he's commercially quite you know viable for a lot of people but yeah that's kind of the mentality I kind of have with um social media and internet fame and being a sensation Hmm. you understand the need for it and how it can like bring you potentially just like an audience or a market but you're not like thirsting for it absolutely Hmm. I did a campaign for a brand called Balls.co. It's a manscaping you mm. know, company. So, you know, they trim your balls, whatever yep. you call it. Whatever. Got that it's from the name. Call yeah, Balls.co. So listen, when I tell you, I'd walk out onto the street and people would be like, hey, Sean, 
listen, I saw you in that campaign, you know, bro. He said, listen, I saw that face and I knew it was you. I was like, that was me, man. I was like, that was me. They were like, why would you do that? I said, it was funny. Like, why wouldn't I do it? It's lighthearted. It's in jest, you know. It's not serious to me. And then I had messages on Instagram. I had, like, floods of people coming in. And then even when I, even when I put the video up on my Instagram, that got, like, 4,000 views and, like, 80 comments. But then when I put up my TEDx talk, it didn't reach the same numbers. Mm. And I was like, I wonder if that's mm. also because of short form. Like the campaign was, I'm guessing, what a few minutes, and then your TEDx would have been, yeah, like, and then TEDx would have been like what twenty to thirty minutes, right? So yeah, it's like there's also that idea of how much we want to consume or like our attention spans, which I feel is actually a really good point because the way I used to be able to sit down and focus on a book for hours on end, compared to now where I actually have to force myself to sit down. Yeah. until like it just clicks and I engage um yeah how how I was think, doing the TEDx sorry. talk like what was that like it was a fantastic experience and I'm not sure if anybody knows this I'm gonna probably be telling people for the first time but I actually forgot everything I wanted to say oh when I went on that stage I literally forgot everything I wanted to say mm-hmm. so so I improvised the entire talk did you have like did you improvise it as in the same subject matter? Or the same subject yeah, matter, but it was off the cuff. Yeah, it was so off the cuff. Like I remember I walked out onto stage and I got such stage fright. I looked around and I was like, I looked at the timer to my right and I said, All right, time to get this bag, yes. baby. So I just went, improvised the entire thing. Oh, that's my fear. That's my fear. Like I have when I talk in front of crowds, I'm good. And I love me like some notes. I love me a few bullet points to kind of get me going. <laughs> because that would just like keep my mind on track and I don't waffle. But if I ha- if I just blank on the stage, I'm like, oh, oh no. That's, how how was that? Because I'm, I feel like it must feel kind of like scary as you're on that stage. You're like, oh, I've forgotten everything. It, it was, it was absolutely daunting, especially because it's an opportunity um, not afforded to the many in so many ways, you know. Not everyone has the privilege and the joy to be able to do a TEDx talk. And I think at the time, I didn't really take it seriously um, enough, per se. I didn't take um, notes because I remember at the time, do you know Sully Brait? Sully? Sully. Brait's the poet? Mm, no. He, so him, um, he runs it with his wife, actually. I was about to say partner, but it's actually his wife. And um, what happened was... Um, the speech I originally wanted to do apparently was too radical and revolutionary at the time. They felt they felt like the audience in Peckham wouldn't have received it very well. And I said, isn't that a bit belittling? And uh, in so many ways, assuming that they can't handle what I'm about to say. And I wasn't saying anything particularly revolutionary. I was about to ask, what was I, it? What was the subject? I, I said we should have a black curriculum. That's not that's not crazy. And and but at the time that was like two years ago. Could we have imagined what the black curriculum has done now to be pushed out mainstream and to be supported? You know, COVID and Black Lives Matter really pushed that agenda. So back in the time I wanted to say we should have a black curriculum. And I think I also said if we're not going to be taught it in the national curriculum, we should actually have it in our own schools, um, because we have enough money to, you know, as black people we're worth what is it, three hundred billion to the UK economy or three hundred million? I can't remember the statistics but if we put that wealth and that money into something valuable like a school if we had like one of those institutions 
we could do amazingly well. We could re-educate our people outside of the colonial Eurocentric ways that we see things um, or the way that we see education. So at that time, that was radical. Maybe now, if I did a speech on that, it wouldn't be as radical. So I think it was contextual and I think it was quite situational. Mm. So wait, that was 2018? 2018, yeah. yeah. I don't, maybe it's because I'm a black woman. It just doesn't seem that radical to me. I remember that was three years ago. But still, even three years ago as a black woman, it doesn't seem that radical to me. Because three years ago, that is what I would have wanted to see or wanted to have a conversation about. But I think as well... When I was at university, I was considered radical, even at university. I went to Roehampton um, and I started a, a society called Universal Black Minds. But then I, 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 get, I jumped ship because it wasn't going in the route I wanted and it got taken over. So I was happy they're still doing their thing. But at, at, at the time, I was considered radical because I would talk about, you know, black empowerment and how we can move forward as a people. Let's look after but now that might not be as radical. So it, it just depends. I, I, I think the messages I spoke about weren't palatable or appetizing enough at that time. So what did, <clears throat> excuse me. So the finished speech, how did you get from a black curriculum to what you had there? I had to, to numb it down. I numbed it down to having a black curriculum. Mm. I I I um compromised on the idea that fine sure I'll talk about we should have a black curriculum and I spoke about it from, from more of a anecdotal experience. Okay. Um, and I wanted to put more facts into it, but again there was the argument that it perhaps wouldn't have been received too well, which I kind of understood. No, no, I get it, I get it. That was 2018 though, and I think you have to sometimes be quite reflective. At the time, that just wasn't palatable for people, you know. Um. Because I didn't even realise at the time, I remember when I was in the room and I was eating Nando's, um, I was eating chips because at the time I was vegan actually. Um, I eat peri-peri salted chips, my favourite chips of all time. Um, I remember in the room this woman came up to me and she was really small and she was like, oh, she's trying to give her TEDx talk. I was like, oh yeah, sure, I've just done mine. Everyone's getting ready to do their their one. So then when I come back home and a couple of months later I checked... uh, playlist and my talk was there do you know who that woman was mm-hmm. just it should it was patricia bright oh i had no idea who this woman was and i remember someone was like sean you know you did a talk with patricia um patricia bright was in the same building as you i was like okay who is she they said she was like one of the only black women at the youtubers at the time that had blown up all over youtube i was like okay that's nice I think at the time I just didn't just didn't appreciate the opportunity that I had afforded to me. I think now I'm in a very different place. I've grown up. I've become more mature. But I think now if I gave another TEDx talk, it would be a completely different experience. And hopefully, whilst mixing the radical and the revolutionary, it could also be palatable and inspiring in such a way people can receive it. Mm. In a way that's going to uplift them, but also make them think critically about the world. Palatable, though, doesn't mean like dumbing down because I feel like that's what they essentially wanted you to do like to make it to make make sure people were not offended or embrace it or like embrace what you were saying there's also this element of like oh 
we have to put like this blanket of niceness around it. We have to maybe like remove the statistics and the facts and the figures just to make sure that the word can come across in some way, but it comes across in a nice way. And I feel like, what? Oh, okay. Okay. Gonna edit that out again. <laughs> yeah, so uh, palatable not having to be dumbed down is what I was basically saying, yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think sometimes in theory, though, I don't like to use the word dumbing down because that's assuming I have like a monopoly on intelligence when I think intelligence is subjective and you can't measure, you know, a fish's ability to climb a tree and call it dumb or stupid. It's not within its capacity or its biological makeup. But um, I, I hate the idea of having to dumb things down for people, but I understand you have to kind of break the barriers to education because education is quite hierarchical in the way that we reproduce knowledge. You know, it's only accessible sometimes to some people, for example, who go to university or do courses. But now the world has changed. There's knowledge everywhere. But at the same time, there's a lot of misinformation going on. So it's, it's, it's quite hard. So if I could do it again, I wouldn't have changed the speech. But I understood it based on that time. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking back to 2018 and I guess the conversations we were having last year weren't as to the forefront as they are now, at least like not in, I would say, mix in air quotes company. Like having the conversations I'd usually have in a group of black people about race probably would have sugarcoated a few things if there were like, it was a group of white people, which is just like the mindset we were put in I think back, a lot of us were in back then, just not even always intentionally. There was sometimes this idea that to just make the, a situation like any less uncomfortable for us, it was just easier to put like this kind of sugary blanket over things. Yeah, and sugar digests well, but we know in the long term it's not good. It's bad. Oh. It's bad. Delicious, but uh, toxic. So what do you like what do you envision going forward because you've mentioned a lot of like your podcast and like moving into doing different things so what do you envision as your the next steps maybe like even having your own version of TEDx like TEDx Black or TEDx Sean <laughs> TEDx Black that would actually be cool uh, yeah um but so I think for myself I'm envisioning um hopefully doing actually another TEDx talk. That's actually the idea. That's something that I'm planning to do. Um, I want to give five TEDx talks before I'm 50. So that's the plan. That's the goal. And I'm aiming to get there. And I think each one I would like to use as a digital receipt in time of how I've changed on my journey. But I'm actually also thinking to host a TEDx talk. Um, so I'm from Southwest London, Tooting, Ellsfield, whichever one. Um, and I want to do a one for TEDx Ellsfield or maybe TEDx Tooting and just give back to to the community the way that I've been given to so I did mine in Peckham but I'd like to you know show off the talent that's around there so I've got plans I need to learn how to pitch that TEDx um, hosting or get the license for it and see how that goes so yeah that's um, one of the plans um, podcast wise I'm hoping to be able to monetize my podcast somewhat so through YouTube um, I still need to get to my first thousand subscribers I'm on a hundred and 
29 i think but i don't really put much content on there at the moment so i need to promote it do the marketing for it but also i actually want to be an author at some point again talking about my experience growing up and hopefully inspiring young other black boys um out there specifically hopefully a girl could also take a lot of experience from it or anyone regardless um why are you laughing um, uh, uh, i know i'm lying i am <laughs> Why are you laughing? No, no, I, re- I, I think that's beautiful. Just, you know, you had to throw in, oh, a girl hopefully can get something from it. Yeah, because I don't want it to be exclusionary. I want it to be inclusive. I'm sure women will also be able to take something from whatever you write, Sean. No, I, 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 but that's what I mean. I hope yeah, so, yeah. because I understand we live in a time where some people want to read only black-related material. Some people only want to read feminist material. Some people only want to read... Um, anti-capitalist material so I'm kind of understanding it based on the chambers the echo chambers that sometimes we're locked mm-hmm. in but yeah I want to do that hopefully a chat show at some point too where I interview some guests so I'm hoping to rival ZZ Mills show because <laughs> I think there's a lot of chat shows that are very female dominated we need more men in terms of Ooh, chat a phrase I have not heard in a while we need more men yeah, because nowadays people are arguing for less men. <laughs> are you going to deny that? I don't even want to say so that. I mean, actually, I'm not going to deny that. Sometimes I do want to hear, don't want to hear men talk as much as they do. There you go. The fact I've been given this platform to speak as a man. Oh, is, my is, God. Don't talk to me about oppression as if I'm a... <laughs> You've spoken freely. Multiple times I've raised my eyebrows. But I'm like, no, let the brother speak. What are you raising your eyebrows no, at? Just you in general. You have you you speak your mind, and I appreciate that. And I think it's um it's just a good thing to have. So you know how I like to do it. See, I think you appreciate it to a degree. Oh no no no! I don't think I know enough about you to be like ugh, completely disagree with what Sean said here. But I think um from what I've heard you say, it's not like anything that screams out at me like uh I, I can't have conversations with this person. What kind of person could you not have a conversation with? Um, I guess somebody calling me slurs and being racist. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably it. If yeah. someone is um, coming at me with views that are completely like opposed to mine and there's not even like, they're not even trying to hear what I'm saying or trying to hear where I'm coming from, I don't think I can have a conversation because you're not have, trying to have a conversation with me at all. Um, yeah you're like too stuck in what your views and your beliefs to just not listen to me so i'm not gonna listen to you um but i do know that you with your podcast like you aim a lot to bring on people who have different perspectives or just a range of perspectives because um i think you were speaking to who was it was it somewhat like a, some black conservatives a while ago yeah, yeah black conservative aaron fenton hewitt and um I remember, listen, so he's part of Turning Point UK uh, now. And if anyone knows Turning Point yeah. UK, both Charlie Cook and Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens. And um, I, it's funny because I'm in their group chat now. I'm in the Turning Point group chat. And it's not because I'm right wing or conservative, but I, 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 I seek to understand what is it that we have in common and what is it we have that actually divides us. Mm. And when I had the conversation with Aaron, some of the DMs that I was getting was like, 
how could you talk to someone from Turning Point UK? How can you talk to a conservative? What's wrong with you? You know, you're endorsing racism, sexism. I'm like, you're, and I said, to, I said to a lot of people, you're, you're endorsing illiberalism. You're endorsing what people hate about liberals nowadays, that they're illiberal. Once upon a time ago, someone who was right wing was considered liberal. That it's crazy how history has changed. So by me having conversations with someone like Aaron, I've been able to take away the similarities, but also remember what divides us. So for example, Aaron and I grew up in the same church. So I mean, we're from different areas, but when I see say church, we grew up in the same institution. So that's Seventh-day Adventism. And we've gone on our own different paths. We're both Caribbean, although everyone assumes I'm either Nigerian or South African. So if you want to call me Sean in my Nigerian name, call me Sheyun. I'll take that. Take Didn't that even pronounce it right, but go on. Is, okay, how do, how do I pronounce Shil. it? Sheyun. Sheyun. Listen, I've got it somewhat, okay? I'll take, I'll, I'll take that. But Aaron on Twitter, for example, put, he doesn't believe the government should give out free school meals because he believes it's a parent's responsibility to feed the children, not the government, right? And Aaron's a bit overweight. So people were saying, you look like you ate all the free school Jeez. meals. People, people were just absolutely oh. peppering him. People were like, I'll send me your address. I want to see if you're going to need a school meal after I beat you up. Like people were just saying crazy things. And I get it. The issue around free school meals is something that affects people's real everyday life. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I get it. Children need to be fed. And I agree that the government should um, be able to give up free school meals. I think Marcus Rashford, what he did was absolutely commendable. But I think footballers could do even more. But then people argue it's not their responsibility either. But the death threats that he received and the attacks on him, I was just a bit like, this reminds me why I can talk to anybody. And although I may, I may disagree with you politically, morally, um, socially, whatever my disagreement is, if I can have a conversation with you and we can find something that keeps us in common, you realize just we're, we're both humans. Mm. We just come from different places ethically and morally. And that's the difference. And you'd find you have more of a productive and conducive conversation when you can just talk to somebody rather than shouting them down as you said some people sometimes just want a shouting match hmm. i wonder if i think you're i don't want to say like you're a better man than me um but i don't know if i, yeah, can... I can imagine that must be hard to say a social <laughs> feminist Ooh, i feel that burn in your chest <laughs> you because you're not um i just i think i respect <laughs> i respect the fact that you can have these conversations because especially with that free school meals one i it's just i i, I think inside of me i want to just say but the children because i'm looking at it from a point of like i know i mean not personally but i grew up in a community where there are people who had to rely on free school meals like i've seen how it benefits people and i'm just like how can you yeah. argue against literally feeding children like the most vulnerable in our society so i yeah. feel like i understand where people who are coming at you say it was Aaron with like anger um are coming from. Yeah. I mean, but I also can see how them them like threatening him is literally like kind of similar to how people who are very right wing will come at us who are like defending free school mills. So I guess the extremes of both sides are something to be discussed, but I I don't know. It's just talking about like 
again, it's all it's just again, it's like the when it comes to like basic humanity and things like that, I don't always see how people can pull their politics in to argue against like something that seems so basic that everyone should deserve. And I guess that's like where your conversation comes into kind of understanding where he's coming from, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think interestingly, sadly, I think we're living in quite an intolerant and an in, an an illiberal time. And it's sad that people who are right wing seem to have more tolerance, but maybe that's because they're in the power structures that benefit them, some people would argue. Maybe mm. and why I say that is from the conversations that I have seen. So I, I understand ask, based yeah. on what I'm exposed to. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was saying I was gonna ask, why would you say that? Um, it's just because from the conversations I've seen, I've seen more right wing people willing to have a conversation with left with left wing. Left wing don't seem to be ready to have that conversation. You rarely ever see it. And I think you see it especially in America. America's an absolutely polarized country right now. I'm not even happy that Biden is president um, of America. I, I wasn't particularly a fan of Trump either, but that's because I understand politics is it's politics. It's a mind game. It's who goes in and creates the less damage, but it's all damage nonetheless. But even in, in England, even if you just look at some of the conversations people are having, people aren't willing to talk with people. Mm-hmm. I had an Instagram live where I was saying, I said something that wasn't, wasn't to me remotely um, controversial, but I remember one of the comments was like, why are men speaking on this topic? And it wasn't anything female orientated. And that just reminded me, do we have to be of a certain race, ethnicity, gender to speak on an experience? Did, it, just, it just reminded me of where I think left-wing politics has got to. It's got to a very intolerant and an illiberal place. And you very rarely meet someone who's willing to have a conversation. That's interesting because from my experiences, I would have, I take the road that I see people on the left wing more willing to have a conversation. I guess left wing or maybe leaning to more like center moderate-ish. Like I see them being more willing to have conversations where I've seen people who are more, who are more right wing shout people down tell people that they're wrong like put their views as like the the pinnacle and it seems to me that I don't know if it's like I guess it could come down to media we consume but I think it's also there has to be something about maybe the people because I feel like you can be you can have your whatever political views you have but I think at the set at the set at the like the core of it you have to also remember in that the like there's some humanity there and I think in just being willing to understand and hear other people, there's a it's like a way that we still hold on to that humanity because yeah, politics can instantly drag anyone down and can instantly make someone like can put up lines. But I think if we're open to it, I sound so fucking hippy dippy. If we're open, if we're open to hearing each other, we're open to be one world. It should be fine. But um, yeah, from my experience, I've just I've seen a lot more right wing people like shouting people down, and I just. I'm not saying that means I'm never going to have a conversation with someone who's more right wing. I just, I think it's just, again, it's a person by person thing. Tell me what we're discussing and be willing to hear me and I'll be willing to hear you. Yeah. So for example, even on dating apps, just scroll. And I've, I see comments like if you're Tory, don't match. If you, if you believe in conservatism, don't match. 
And I think that's funny and it's a great example because I never see someone go, if you're left wing, don't match. But maybe again, mm -hmm. we're not exposed to it. Um, but there's also very much the idea that I think left wing politics feel like they hold the moral hierarchy on morals. And that's not necessarily always the case, you know. Um, again, I don't know enough about politics to comment entirely wholesomely on left wing or right wing politics. But that's why I created my podcast. My podcast is therapeutic and it's also somewhere for me to learn. I have to learn as well. You know, the day you stop learning is the day you stop living. That's my sort of mentality. So by having people like Aaron on my podcast has reminded me that, again, we have more in common than actually divides us. And if I'm able to have a conversation, him and I are friends, you know, somewhat. And I'm able to forge a friendship out of the commonalities rather than me seeing him only as right wing or seeing him only as a conservative that's reductive let people on the left want to see themselves as the entirety of their political opinions and who they are wholesomely so why not see other people like that you know mm -hmm. but i understand that it's different in to some people maybe i'm in a different place and maybe that will also change so in the words of malcolm x don't be mad at somebody for what they once knew for you or once that person i'm paraphrasing it but it's something along those lines, yeah. what he said. No, I can respect that. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just, I'm literally just pondering. Like, um, you've raised, pondering. yeah, yeah, you've just raised a few good points. Um, there is this, I guess, when you're in a certain position or you have certain beliefs, you are looking at it definitely much from a, like, I, I believe this thing, so I believe this is right, and everyone else, they're somehow failing in some way in their beliefs. So yeah. you're instantly, I think that you're kind of already coming from a point of like, you're wrong. So, you're my enemy. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. And I, for my podcast, I've got a lot more controversial guests coming on, quote unquote controversial based on the time frame that we're in. But it's because I want to have those conversations. You know, one of the guys in the group, um, I'm not going to mention his name until he comes into my podcast, but this guy hates lefties. He hates them. He's black. He ultimately believes that there's nowhere better else to be in the world than to be in Britain. He believes Britain is the least racist society. He believes that black on black crime is a thing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people on the left, they don't believe that. They strongly do not believe that because we don't characterize things such as white on white violence or olive on olive violence. But the more I'm able to talk to him is I can understand where he comes from because how, can how I... though because i'm thinking like if your views completely actually i'm assuming but if your views completely yeah. oppose his how can you then be like ah i see where you're i see why you believe in black on black violence i see why you think britain isn't racist or the least racist place yeah i, I, I how how am i able to do it it's also because i don't take people as a singular aspect of their politics there's more behind that person so i might be left-leaning for example but i'm socially conservative in some other aspects i like i went like most african homes for example are very conservative households they believe in the family they believe in wealth that you know my nigerian friend always says to me there's no social system in nigeria what's a social system you know he says it's usually when people come to the western world is when they're exposed to the ideas of left-wing or, you know, liberalism and big government, and people no longer espouse more conservative values, they start to change as time goes on. Um, so I think I'm able to have that conversation because 
if I, if I don't have that conversation, I'm continuing to add to already a negative dynamic in terms of we're polarized, we're divided as a people. Why would I want to add to that? Why would I want to contribute to that? And yes, I might morally disagree with him in every way, shape or form. But again, what good would it do for me if I completely throw him to the wayside or I throw him to a place where I'm like, I'm never going to have a conversation with that person. Like, for example, one of my most controversial views, quote unquote, is there was a TEDx talk um, that was originally planned in South Bank, if I remember correctly, and it was petitioned to be cancelled. Um, and there was a story between a woman who was raped and the rapist. Right, yeah, I've seen. I think I, so you know I, saw, I saw like an interview with them or I read the article about yeah. the yeah about the talk. And it was an absolutely fantastic TEDx talk mm. in the sense of they spoke about their journey in terms of he didn't see what he did was wrong and she was a victim ultimately. And she said herself, she just wanted to get revenge on him. And he did his counseling, he did his therapy. They, they both met up. People didn't even want to hear that conversation because I remember some of the comments were, oh, it's going to be too triggering for people. Yes, it would be triggering for people, but if you are easily triggered, do not go. You have the freedom to not be there. Who are we to curtail somebody else's freedom of speech? I would also say that it's not even about being easily triggered. If you've experienced rape or sexual assault, it's it probably will trigger you. Um, of so course, if someone, but you have the choice yeah, so if someone chooses, someone can choose not to go. Yeah, fair enough. But I feel like saying that it's like an e- like if you're easily triggered don't go that's kind of like minimizing what they may have gone through but I do understand I think I saw a bit of the talk and I read a I think I saw a clip I think that's why it was a YouTube video talking about it yeah. and then I read an article and it did seem wild to me because I was like I can't imagine talking to someone who's done this to me yeah. but I think I was interested on a level it wasn't, I don't think I would go to it, but I can understand why it was a talk and why people would want to go to it. So I think it was, um, yeah, I didn't hear about the petition against it to be had in South Bank, though. I didn't even know. The I the think I, I think if I remember correctly, it was petitioned to be at South Bank and um, it, they had to move it because people were against it. And what I was trying to say, so I'm not going to easily triggered was the wrong choice of words, but if you're triggered by it, you have the freedom to not go. But then I think to petition it and to take it off the option for everybody else who perhaps may or may not want to um, listen to it is a great sign of intolerance. I think it's an incredibly emotional topic. So that's absolutely true. And it's a terrible, I can't even use the right adjective to describe what someone who has been raped has gone through. I can't even picture that. But I also think you've got to give people the chance. If they want to hear that talk, they've got to hear people who have the freedom to hear that talk. And I'm not a massive fan of, you know, freedom of speech in the sense of freedom of speech comes with consequences. Not everything, you know, is as black or white as that. But I think by petitioning it for it to be taken off, you give you take away the choices and the freedom of other people who perhaps do want to listen to it. So for example, you just said you wouldn't want to listen to it and it's wild for you. And I, I respect that. If you wouldn't want to listen to it, I would never try to force you. I would never want you to come to it. But for someone else who perhaps wants to, perhaps they have gone through it or perhaps they haven't gone through that, they should have that freedom. So very similar to like in universities where people are cancelled and they 
can't come on to give a speech because they're either transphobic, racist, sexist. I strongly believe that they should still have that platform to speak about it and be challenged on it appropriately within intellectual discourse. But my views are controversial mm. in this time that we're living in. Yeah, because I would say if someone is coming onto university to, to, to be transphobic or racist, they're coming to spew hate speech. So I wouldn't think that a place, that's a platform. I wouldn't think that they should be given that platform to, if they're coming to talk, sorry, my words are getting jumbled. It's a bit late in the day for me, which is wild because it's 3 p.m. Um, if they're coming to spew hate speech, then I don't feel like they should be provided with a platform. If they're coming to have like a discussion about something, that's something di completely different. I don't see someone coming to preach about why certain people shouldn't have rights or like disagreeing with people's like lifestyles is something that sh they should be given a platform for. But you did say something interesting about the TEDx. Is it TED Talk or TEDx Talk, this one? Because I know there's a difference. Um, I think the right, giving people the right to listen to it is fair. But I think it comes back to me for giving the people who are giving the talk the right to tell their story. Because in Absolutely. the end, it is their story. So if they've decided, if her as like the victim has come to the point where she's like, I want to tell this story. And he as the rapist is like, um, I mean, I don't know what discussion or agreement they had, but they have come collectively and said like, yeah, we want to tell this story. We want to take it out on the road. That's their decision to tell the story. Because again, that's their narrative to have. Absolutely. And you're right. Um, if someone is outwardly racist, sexist, whatever the ism or the ist is, they shouldn't be given that freedom. But a lot of people are ordained that title, I think, quite unfairly. I think some people just have a view that perhaps is different from somebody else. So, for example, um, I can't think of a current example in my head to draw to, but I just think it's something I see happen quite often. I think it's quite easy to class somebody as sexist or racist in the world we're living in now. And sometimes it can come go around unqualified, which actually devalues the meaning of the word. So, for example, um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen Larry Elder. He's hated by most of black America. He's, he's, he's a black Republican. Was he the one that Biden was in talks with of, like, appointing to a position? Or... No. Okay. You're talk maybe that might be... Uh, no, explain who Larry Elder is. Do you know what? I'll use a better example. Oh. So Candace Owens. Right, right. If white, if white people said what Candace Owens says, they'll be classed as racist. But when Candace Owens says it, people use racial epithets on her. People call her a coon. People call her a do-wop, a gollywog. People, and that's coming from black people. People say she's a sellout. And personally to me, I, f I listen to Candace Owens and I hear what she says. And I'm like, okay, I see why people are offended. Maybe she could have said it in a better way. But that's what I mean by if she was white, she would be called everything under the sun, racist, sexist. Well, and even the whole debacle with Harry Styles where she was like, I want men to be men. I found that to be quite interesting. Although I, 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 what she meant by it was different. She has her own interpretations of what a man is, quote unquote. Because some people would say, She's actually hypocritical. She's talking about rebuilding the black family, but she's with a white man. Mm. So what I mean is it's just hard to categorize people as racist and sexist and all these other isms and ists 
because it depends on the person. It depends on the person's, you know, their race, their gender, their ethnicity. I mean, I get that. But I think there's a difference between, like you said rightly, there's a difference between Candace Owens saying what she's saying and um, who's a white Republican? Um, uh, Tony, Tony Loren? Tom, oh, I can't remember. Okay, somewhat. Tommy Loren. Tommy Loren, yeah, yeah, her. Tomato La. la or whatever uh no tommy loren um so if tommy was saying the exact same things that candace was saying yes it's different because clearly you're a white woman saying things about black people about like the black family about certain beliefs that black people have that you're like oh you guys are just sheep da, da, da. so yeah tommy would be considered a racist and probably would be banned whereas candace would be like well you're black so I guess you can come on and say this stuff and we will just let you. But I think that's also kind of, that brings up another interesting point. And I know I don't like we're already in a lot of time, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, the idea that certain people are like either put at the forefront of groups or like used by groups to say certain things. They're like, oh, you, you get a pass basically. We can't say it, but you can basically help spread our message. Absolutely. And then, like, saying, okay, we'll take you to a campus, and because you're black, well, you're going to be allowed, whereas one of us would be, like, seen as inciting hate speech. Absolutely. Well, think about it. When Jeremy Corbyn was running to be the leader of, you know, the country, who did he use to parrot his narrative? He used a grime scene. He spoke to Stormzy. He spoke to all these rappers. So what's the difference between someone who's left-leaning using black people at the face and the front of their campaign due to their market and social capital compared to a turning point who used Candace Owen to say things about the black family that a white person wouldn't be allowed to. Tell me politically what is the difference? Because when you look at when you analyse it politically, you start to realise there are two peas in the same pod. Left-wing people love to infantilise black people in terms of see us as only victims and incapable of um, doing anything that's outside of our narrative. And that's very much where white saviorism has come into play because a lot of left-wing people see black people as only victims. But then on the right wing, right wing don't believe in racism. So what they'll do is they'll use someone like Candace Owens to go to black people and tell them, you're not a victim. Racism doesn't exist. Sexism doesn't exist. What is the difference? I don't know if they're... I can't say that right wing people don't believe in racism. Because then a lot of white people do not believe the racism. But then exists. what do they, they do call believe. what they're doing? What do they call like yelling slurs or basically saying like, oh, you are of a lower mindset or like a lower intellect, so you can't do certain things? Like, what do they call that? I'm I'm not sure what you're referring to. You have to give. Okay, so like, okay, what was I watching? Um, okay, so. Some people, when, okay, so like, um, I guess Trump supporters are like the clearest one I can use because sometimes you do see interviews where certain Trump supporters yeah. are like, black people aren't, don't deserve this, or like, black people aren't as intelligent as us, or like, black people don't have like the same mindset, or like, they shouldn't be running countries, basically referring to Obama. So then what I'm saying is like, what do they call that if it is not racism? Is it just, is it just a fact? Because I, then I'm saying, you can't believe that you can't say that they don't believe in racism because clearly they believe like one race isn't as worthy as another or like one race doesn't have as much power as another. Well, you're referring to like the, to the extreme side, right? You're referring to the extreme side of the right in terms of 
the Trump supporters who were endorsed by Trump's um, presidency to be racist. I'm not thinking about like, I'm not necessarily talking about extreme. I'm talking about, because you said like in terms of right wing, they don't believe in racism. But I feel like... Sorry, let me, let me, let me probably put this better. Republicans who probably are within the party, a lot of them don't believe racism exists per se. Hmm. So Trump doesn't believe, if if you ask Trump about racism, what did he say? He didn't really speak on it. He didn't really believe that it was such a predominant prevailing factor in the US. Whereas Biden, he strongly believes in that. He strongly believes that race, racism is still there. And when you look at his first, some of his first executive orders, it was to right the wrongs of the Trump presidency. Yeah, so, so like provoking the Muslim ban and reuniting, uh, was it children at the border with their parents? But Obama put more children in those camps than any other president and no one speaks about that because he's black. Mm. No one studies it on paper. If you look but at the I numbers. Feel, no, okay, actually, no, let me not say I feel, but I don't think that's not a discussed thing because I definitely like know that, sorry, that there are discussions about like how that was brought in by, okay, maybe not brought in. Again, I don't follow politics like too deep, but I read what I read. So um, yeah. it was brought in by the Obama administration as far as I know. But I don't feel like it was done to the extent as Trump did it. Like, I swear, I feel like I've read pieces that have talked about, like, yes, this was brought in and yes, people were separated from their families. But it was like there were certain criteria, whereas in the Trump administration, it was a lot of like, you've come here and you tried to come here illegally. So we're just going to take you away from your children. Yeah. So. I'll I'll use another example of um, when you think about immigration. Most left-leaning people are for immigration. A lot of right-wing people are for immigration. They just want it to be legal. And some people who are extremely left believe in no borders. They believe that there should be no nations because nations have destroyed the world. And Nigeria is a great example of how Nigeria was divided up by the European, by the English. You know, They came in, divided up Nigeria even more, used tribalism, accentuated and exacerbated that divide. And Nigeria split apart. Um, and the idea of, around immigration is some people use the argument of if you want to protect your house, you have a door. If you want to protect your building, you have um, a gate that stops people from coming in. Someone from the right argues, what's wrong with that? Someone from the left will go, make it easier for them to come in. So it's, it's, they actually pretty much in some aspects agree on the same thing. It's just they go about different ways of of enacting that. One is for immigration. Some right-wing people want immigration to be legal and they want those people to bring value. They want the best coming to the country. Mm. But that's from my own political analysis. Yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry, no, I was going to say, that's just from my own political analysis. Mm. I believe people should be able to freely migrate. People should be able to be immigrate. People should be able to do whatever they want. But I do understand that when you go to a certain country, they have their rules. So, for example, if I go to Saudi Arabia or Bahrain or, you know, Dubai, I I understand these places have their rules. I can't do certain things. So if I was to travel freely, I understand I'd have to assimilate to that culture, you know. So 
it's just about where do you fall politically. Mm. Yeah. But I feel like that the whole discussion about bringing the best to a country is like that idea of best can 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 get very techy because there's this this idea of like, oh, okay, so how do we like how do we value? What's the value we put on best? And then when you do that, exactly. what do you like then say in terms of like, oh, the people who don't meet that certain criteria, are they not as good? Or are you basically like classifying them as not as worthy? And yeah, I think it's... Well, oh, go on. Do you see how from us being able to even have that conversation, how we both realised there's more within that? than we actually could imagine. It's not just as black and white as, you know, you're racist and you're fascist. You don't want immigrants coming to the country. You just broke it down and said, yeah, there's also this idea of who's better, who's worthy enough to come to the country. Oh, but I'm not agreeing with the idea of like putting a label of the best come to the country. No, but I know. But the point is we both similarly agree on the idea that it's not just as simple as the best people should be able to freely migrate whether that's i again i don't like the word best either but whoever's going to come is going to come and add value to the country and even if they can't do it at that moment in time they should be given the chance to but you realize from having the conversation that there was nothing remotely massively controversial about it okay so is your point basically that the conversation should be had in everything absolutely in everything i believe conversations should be had for everything mm-hmm. if if you're not willing to have the conversation don't stop body else, don't stop somebody else from having that conversation because you don't agree with that that's totalitarian yeah i agree um well we have spoken for a while but how long have we been speaking <laughs> uh like an hour and 20 minutes but Listen, come on. Hopefully people are able to take something away from this because I just want want people to realise that conversations are just important. But it's all about your journey, you know, whenever you feel comfortable. Mm, I hear that. I think um, what you need to do now is plug yourself and also let people know where they can find you, uh, how they can (laughs) listen to your podcast, you know, be that social media star that you want to be. Listen, I don't want to be a social media star. So if she ever sound clips this or does any <laughs> clip bait, I don't want to be a social media star. But um, the Instagram is Deshaun Flores. So T-H-E-S-H-A-U-N-F-L-O-R-E-S. YouTube is Sean Flores again. Um, my podcast is available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music. These are all those good places. Um, I'm coming back better than ever. Um, so that's kind of me plugging myself. Check out the TEDx talk. It was um, named the failures of multiculturalism, which was not the name I wanted to give it, but that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, you can check that out on TEDx Talk Peckham. Damn, these people really tried you. Um, what's the name of the podcast? Um, Flower Hour. So I use the name Flowers because we only think about flowers in regards to being a romantic gift for our other half. But I like to gift people the knowledge of conversation through the podcast come on mate metaphors english literature (laughs) all right well (laughs) that's Sean done (laughs) you are a hater i never said anything man um so yeah thank you for listening i hope you took something away from this podcast if you want to find out more about sean about what he talks about about what he's like if you want to hear more interesting conversations definitely check out his podcast bye lovely people